Welcome to Teaching Thursdays, an edition of the Better Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 65. This edition of the podcast is brought to you by my generous supporters over at patreon.com. I am so excited for their continued support to make this and other things over at Better Bible Reading possible for you to listen to and enjoy. And so if you are interested in becoming a supporter, please consider doing so. And you can do that by going to patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash better Bible reading. Well, the book of James is one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. And I can't help but think a passage to be as relevant as you could imagine. And that is the passage in James which talks about the foolish concept of boasting about tomorrow. This year, 2020, has been unlike anything I have ever experienced in my life here on this earth. And if there's one takeaway from it, that is, you couldn't have ever predicted the year would go as it has. Everything from economy to the unrest in the United States and even beyond that, all over the world. And we can really do to listen to what James is saying to us about how we should really consider God's providence and we should keep ourselves from being sure that we know what the future holds, at least in terms of the here and now. Well, thanks for listening to this episode. I hope it serves you well. All right, if you have your Bible, turn to James chapter 4. That's where we're going to be at today. As I say always, it's great to see all of you today. Great to worship with you as I get to every week. And uh, notice I didn't say sing, because when we come here, worship is not just the music aspect of it, although we tend to say that a lot of times, but it's the kickoff of worship. So it begins with the music, but it, it overflows into the preaching of the Word of God, the receiving of the Word of God. It's all worship, so that's what we're here for. So as I said, James chapter 4. Verse 13 through 17 is where we're going to be at. Um, we live in a really, really strange part of the world. Um, if you spend any time looking around while you're driving in your vehicle, especially in this country, you're going to be overwhelmed with signs, advertisements, all kinds of stuff. I mean, you, you can't even leave here to go to your house without being bombarded by stuff. Um, some of us are probably lucky we don't get in wrecks because there's so many of them everywhere. And uh, in case, uh, I thought it was funny because I, I noticed it's usually on these, on these highways, but if you get on the interstate, you can't even escape because they'll just build a 100-foot sign. And I mean, you can't escape the advertisements. Wherever you go, there they are. And uh, we live in a world that is very, very much um, tickling our ear to tell us of why we deserve this, why we need this. That's, all, that's, that's what we're told. Every time you turn on the TV... Um, you can watch maybe 10 minutes of your favorite show, then kicks on the commercial, and then here's all the stuff that you need to buy to improve your life. You drive away from here, you go to get some food, the place beside it's telling you why you need to go there instead because they got this special deal going on. There's all this stuff that just floods our minds. Wherever, whatever we're trying to do, we can't hope to do it without being interrupted by um, advertisements and buying things because that's just the nature of where we live at. And unfortunately, this type of mindset has infiltrated the church. So what I mean by that is if you were to turn on TV today, chances are most of the church sermons or church teachings that you would see on TV um, are very 
absent of teaching the Word of God, but they are very, very much flooded and saturated with, here's what you deserve in your life. Here's why you should be happy, healthy, and wealthy. Here's how you get God to do that. And that's really the bulk of what we see on on TV when we turn on a a church channel. And I use that term loosely because, honestly, a lot lot of that isn't even church. But, um, unfortunately, that's what it's been deemed. So, anyways, um, I want to kind of talk a little bit about that. And the reason I want to talk about it is because this is where we live at. This is the United States, and the United States is... um, completely filled with that. We, we can't hope to grow out of that if we don't address it. And so I always want to address problems specifically that affect us or that we would see or that people in our lives would come to us and, 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 w- and we better have a good answer for them when, when they ask us, is this really who God is? Is this really what he's all about? And so uh, my hope is that you would see in the word of God that we are going to get an answer on that. Um, so why the book of James? There is a uh, a very, very deep affection in my heart for the book of James because it, he just cuts the chase. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't throw any punches. You, you can't read James and say, oh, well, maybe he didn't mean this because it's pretty cut and dry. I mean, you, he, he says it in such a straightforward way that you've got to do something with it. You can't overlook what he says. Um, so it's a great book in that regard. But it's different from most of these other uh, New Testament letters because you know a lot of these New Testament letters, whether it's Paul or Peter or whoever's writing it, um, they're, they're going to lay out very clearly what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. They're going to be very saturated with the gospel, with the good news of what Jesus has done in our lives. And then they may include a couple chapters at the end of how that applies. Well, James is a little bit different because James is almost entirely an applicatory book where the gospel message is assumed, it's understood already, and now here's a book that tells us how to live in light of that. It's almost like the New Testament book of Proverbs, in my opinion, because it's just, it's just arranged in a different type of way. Um, so the way that we would read this matters. So if you go to James and you say, okay, well, he says, don't do this, so I'll just do a better job at not doing that. And that's all you get out of it. That's not the right way to read it. The right way to read it is to read what it says and then apply it in response to what Jesus Christ has done with the gospel message. So that's what we want to do today. So if you join with me, then we will read James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Okay, so this is a very um, probably unpopular part of the Bible because um, it's not very nice, is it? It's just pretty... uh, (laughs) It's pretty cut and dry. Like I said, James does not uh, mess around too much. He, he, he tends to just tell us how it is. And um, sometimes that can be very convicting. Sometimes we can say, yeah, I need to get my friend that I know to read that because that's all him. Um, but, un- un- you know, we do that, don't we? we? We read this and sometimes we say, well, this is a message for him. I wish he was here today. But God's got us here, so let's see how it matters to us. Um, as I said the church has been infiltrated with this idea of you and I are owed all these things by God and all we got to do is just kind of 
open the door and let him into a part of our lives and then all this stuff is going to come into our lives. We're going to be benefited. We're going to, we're going to grow in happiness and health and wealth and that's what he wants us to have and that's his entire function in our lives and unfortunately the Bible is going to very, very strongly disagree with that idea. All right. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Um, so, since it's going to disagree with that idea, let's talk about it a little bit. But first, I want to talk about what I mean by infiltrating the church. If you were to turn on the TV, um, you would hear pastors say things like this. And these are, these are quotes. Um, it's great to pray to God to have stuff, and it's great to pray to Him to ask for these things, but ultimately, you need to proclaim it. You need to say it yourself. You need to declare that you have these things, and then you'll get them. And you'll have other pastors who will say, God can't do anything until you pray to Him. When you pray to Him, you're giving Him permission to work in your life. Those are just a couple of these ideas that you hear on church television, and um, There's no place in the Word of God for that. So this idea of God being this bail bond guy who we we run to when we we need something, um, that's not the God of the Bible. And that's not the God that we serve. That's not the God that we are to run to as our Christian life. Um, I'll give you you an example of this. Uh, Yesterday we went out. um, There's several of us went out. We went knocking on doors. We went just sharing the love of Christ. We went just to pray with people. We went to say, this is who Jesus is. We shared the gospel. This is what he's done. Um, there were some people who were receptive to that. We got to pray with some people. It was an awesome time. But I won't forget this guy who I talked to um, because I hear this all too many times. We knocked on his door. We're like, hey, man, hey man how's it going? We're here with Restoration Church. We've, we've come to um, share the good news of Jesus. We want to invite you, let you know where we're at. If you have any prayer requests, that's why we're here. We want to pray with you. And uh, he said, no, uh, we, we don't go to church anywhere, and uh, we're, we're doing pretty good, so um, I, I don't think I need any prayer. I think I'm good. We said, okay. All right. But see, it's, it's very important to understand what, what this man has said because this is the mentality that we are fed over and over and over again, both on TV, both driving around. It's this idea that God is only a God to give you things. God is only a God to provide you things. God is only a God that you run to when you're lacking something. And so, like I said, it's like this Santa Claus idea where we just want to be on our best behavior so we can get stuff. We don't really care about God. We just want the things that he's going to give us. The Bible is very clear. That is idolatry in the most plain definition um, that we're not really after God. We just, we just want to maybe put on a show for him for a little while because then we'll get what we really want. And so that's what this guy is saying. He's saying, you know, I, I have things. We're doing good. I don't, I, don't need them. I don't need them right now. I'll call them when I do need them, though. So it's this weird idea. But so many of us in here are, if we're honest, this is how we live. This is, this is our mentality. Now, like I said, a lot of that's because that's what we're fed here in, in the United States. We're fed this. You deserve this. Here's what you need to do. You don't have tan legs. Go to the tanning salon. Get some tan legs because you need them. You know, this, this just these ridiculous billboards, but that, that's what we're fed. We need these things. We need to just accumulate this bag of goodies, and then you'll be to your top self. Then, then you'll be who you've wanted to be all your life. Then you'll be who God really made you to be. That's just not what the Bible has to say. And it's important to know that. So what does James say? 
He says, verse 13, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So if you, if you, if you read this and you're thinking, oh, well, I'm not a businessman, so that doesn't apply to me. Um, he's, he's going very much deeper than just the idea of being a businessman, of, of an idea of making a profit. But this is very, very clear of what James is saying. And he's saying, look, when, when you're living your life, when you're living in response to what Jesus Christ has done. Our job is not to make all these plans, all these lists of, of what we're going to do next, and three years from now I'll be here, and then five years from now I'll be there, and then I'll just climb the ladder, I'll just do all these things, and then I'll finally have what I'm after. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is one where, where we cry out to God that He has saved us, and now we want to know how He wants to use us. How do you want to use me, God? How do you want to use me? Because after all, I, I'm not the leader in this. I'm the follower in this. I'm following you. How do you want me to live my life? What do you have for me? So that's why James says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. Have you ever thought about that? I know that's a very, kind of turns into like a slang term, I guess. We just say, uh, hey man, you going to come over to the house tomorrow? Well, uh, Lord willing, I'll be there. And that's how we say it. But I wonder, how many times do you actually say that and mean it? How many times do we actually say, Lord willing, if the Lord wills? I mean, how many times do we invite that idea into our lives when we do things that ultimately it's up to God? Ultimately, I'm His, so whatever He wants me to do. And something simple like going to somebody's house to hang out, that's not, you know, maybe a poor example. But honestly, this is talking about here specifically our future life. What are we doing right now that's going to catapult us into the future with where God has us? We saw the video, right? There, there, uh, there's an idea of um, investing. And when we think of investing, we always think of worldly things. That's like the guy said, what are you investing in your life? And the guy's like, well, I use a, uh, a specific firm for that. I use a specific investment firm for that. As he's thinking money. He's thinking material things. But we're called to invest in our lives. But it's not the material things. We're, we're, we're supposed to have our minds on the spiritual things. We're supposed to have our minds on where God wants us to go. Every time we come here on Sundays, we pray together. When we come here on Wednesday nights, we pray together. And we say, God, where do you want us to go? We don't just come here and set up chairs and say we're going to have this epic worship service and then we'll all go home and God will be here because that's what he does. And then we'll go home and do our thing and come back, do the same thing. That's not what we're doing. We're here saying, God, where do you want us to be at? Where do you want us to go? That's why we talk about so many different aspects of this when we pray about our ministries, when we pray about brown bag, pray about, when I pray about the worship team, it's always, God, where do you want us to go? We always have to invite God in because, after all, he is the leader. He's, he's, not, uh, he's not following after us. We're like, all right, we want to do this, God, so follow, follow me, follow me. Just, just follow me, just just take my hand and I'll, I'll lead you where I want you to go. And, and since you're my God, then you're kind of obligated to do what I want. None of us are going to say that because that just sounds ridiculous. But my goodness, how many times are we going to live like that? And how many times are we going to think that way that God owes us all these things? It's a very strange idea. But as I said, that's what we're fed here. 
We're fed that. You turn on the TV, you're not going to hear anything that's talking about humility, humbleness, serving. It's always, here's what you deserve. Here's how people better be doing things in your life. And if they're not, just get a new one. Just get a new friend. Just get a new husband. Get a new wife. Get a new car. Get a new dog. Get a new anything that's not going to measure up. That's what we're taught. But God's going to say, you're, you're way off. Way off course. Way off course for what I have you to do. So why do we do this? What, where does this come from? I'm going to make a, make a claim that I've been thinking about a lot, and uh, perhaps it's true, perhaps it's not. Just hear me out on it. You can decide for yourself. That God has, he has made us in such a way that by nature, we want to build something. We want to build something. We want to look back and say, here's what I've done. We want to accumulate something. We don't know what it is, but we want to accumulate something. But outside of Jesus Christ, outside of the new heart and the new mind that He gives us when He saves us, we're forced to spend all that energy on building something for us. If we don't have a God that we serve, if we don't have a God that we worship together, we're forced to do something with that that He created us for. We're forced to do something with that desire that He placed deep inside of us. But if we don't have the God that we worship, we're going to have to just do it on our own. We're going to have to just spend it on ourselves. We're going to have to spend all of our energy on us because we got to do something with it. So He's designed us to build some kind of kingdom. We don't know what it is. But I want to tell you that if you are not a believer in Christ, what He's designed you to build is His kingdom. It's His kingdom. When He saves you, when He gives you a new heart, all of a sudden these new desires come up inside of you. These new wants, these new things come up inside of you and you say, now I finally know what I've been created for. I finally know why God has me where He does. I finally know why these people are in my lives. I finally know why I work where I do. It all comes together under the cross because with the cross, now we have this desire to build a kingdom, but it's no longer our own kingdom. It's no longer earthly, worldly things. Now it's spiritual things. Now it's the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means reaching people. It means going out and serving. It means we are, we are changed from this, this idea of being kings and queens that everything around the universe is about us. All the traffic that's driving on the highway, it's all about us. So if you cut me off, I'm going to do something with these fingers to you. If you cut me off, then I'm going to chase you down. I'm going to tell you about yourself, right? Because in our minds, it's all about us. It's all about us. But when God saves us, now we see. Now, now we turn to having a servant's heart. Now we're, now we're no longer prideful about who we are. Now we're humble. Now we say, God, that you would save me? Look, I, I know what I did years ago. I know, I know what I was apt to do. I know what I wanted to do. Yet God not only saved me and said, well, I'll give you heaven one day, you do your thing now. But no, he said, I'm going to call you home to me one day, but for now, you got some work to do. you got some things I want you to do. I didn't just save you because I'm a nice guy. I saved you because I want to work through you in your life. So I want you to ask yourself, why, why does God have me where he does? Why do I have all these desires burning up inside of me that says, man, I... 
you know, I, I'm not really happy right now, so maybe a new this or a new that's going to solve it for me. Maybe, maybe some, some newer chrome on, on the front bumper is going to solve it for me. May, you know, because I have a car, but it's not really what I want, so maybe just another car will, will do. Or maybe another this or another that, and on and on and on and on we could go about it. But we finally know how to do something with that desire and those, those needs that we think we need. We know, we know what to do with that under the cross because Jesus has said all that, all that that you're going after, don't go after that. That's going to waste away. There, there's no investment. There's no long-term investment in that because eventually it's all going to go away. And what are you going to have to say for yourself when you look back on your life? I accumulated shiny things but they wasted away and now I have nothing. We don't want to do that. We don't want to be those people. We want to be who God has not just suggested we be, but demanded we be. That God has bought us. He purchased us. We're not, I'm not my own anymore. I don't own myself. I'm His servant. You're His servant if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? We are the follower of Him. We're not the leader that, that drags Him along with a, you know, with a chain and say, here's what I want you to do next. Here's what I want you to do next. We don't, that's not how it works. We're His now. We're His. So uh, look with me in verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. What does Satan do when he tempts Jesus in the wilderness. He says, this is what you deserve, man. You're hungry? You deserve some bread. You want all these kingdoms? Just, just fall down. You, you, just fall down and worship me just for a little bit and then, and then you'll get what you deserve. So who does this come from? Who does this, this idea of saying, you want that? Just name it and claim it and it'll be yours. It comes from Satan. It's not godly. It doesn't come from the Holy Spirit inside of us. It comes from the flesh that wages war against the Holy Spirit. It comes from the flesh that still has little bouts of hostility against God. Why is that? Because by nature, we don't want to do these things. We don't want to live a life of servanthood. We don't want to follow God in the face of death itself. We just want to call on Him when we're having a little bit of trouble. And then he'll give us that thing that we really want. So James says, this isn't just off course a little bit. This is what? Evil. It's evil. So what do we do? Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is really interesting. Um, You and I may think that sin is those things that we shouldn't do. Don't cuss out your teacher when she gives you a bad grade because you didn't study. Don't, you know, don't do these things. If you stay away from these things, you'll have an awesome life. But there's another kind of sin. Those are sins of commission. Those are sins of doing what you should not do. But there's another type of sin. The sin of omission. Not doing what you should do. In the sins of commission, doing what we should not, those apply to everybody, don't they? No, nobody's allowed to um, go kill a guy because you don't like him. I mean, everybody's going to have the same punishment. 
That's sinful to do that. But not doing what we should do, that's kind of subjective, isn't it? It's, it might apply to me, but it might not apply to you. So I'll give you an example of that. Sometimes uh, I'll go to a Walmart. Um, I don't like to because the traffic is, I don't, it hurts my head. Um, so I'll just, yeah. Anyways, sometimes I'll go to Walmart and got to get a couple things. So I drive in and I know that a lot of times right there, that front spot where you turn in at, there's going to be somebody holding up a sign wanting, wanting some food, wanting something. Um, in my heart, Sometimes I want to use that side entrance. Sometimes I don't want, I don't want to drive in that way because if I don't see them, then I don't really know if they're there or not. And if I don't know that they're there, then I don't know that I've missed out on, on doing what God wants me to do. But God is so, so quick to convict me on that. And so I'll drive in there and I'll look over and I'll say, okay, well, maybe somebody will help them. I'll go inside. If they're still there, then maybe I'll do something. And all the while knowing this is what God's telling me to do. He's, he's telling me to do it. He's not telling... The person behind me is not telling me somebody else will do it. He's saying, I'm telling you to do it. But if my life is all about me, if my life is all about, well, I got things to do. You know, I got somewhere I got to be. I got to go do this later. I don't have time for that. If my life is all about me, if that boasting heart is all about me, I'm going to miss out on it. But if it's not, if my heart is a heart of servanthood towards God, not so I can earn His love, not so I can get things out of Him, simply because of what He's done for me. If that's the heart that I have, then I'm going to realize what He's telling me to do. I'm going to realize the good that He's telling me to do, and I won't fail to do it. I won't miss out on it. So again, why, why verse 17 right there? It seems kind of a little off topic of what 13 through 16 saying, but it all, it all comes down together. As I said, if our heart is set on, today I'll do this, tomorrow I'll do that, I'll earn all these things, I'll have my life in order, I'll finally be that guy that I've always wanted to be, then you're going to spend all your time and all your energy doing that. And then you're going to look back and you're going to have nothing to show for it. And all the while, you've missed verse 17, knowing the right thing to do that God has called you to do because... Our, our lenses are focused right on us. We've got this tunnel vision. All we can see is what's next for us. We don't see any scenery. We don't see anything to the left, nothing to the right. It's all, what's my next step? What's my next step? And we will entirely miss out on the life that God has for us right now. Right now. Not get my life together five years from now when I'm ready to go, then I'll start serving God. We can't do that. Why? You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We're not promised 50 years here. I'm not promised 70 years. Nobody's promised. Every day is a gift from God. Doesn't Jesus say if, if, if the one who's watching the house knew when the master was coming back, then he wouldn't have... You know, the, the dishes piling up. He wouldn't be drunk sitting on the couch watching TV. He wouldn't be there. He'd be ready for him. But we don't know when he's coming back. We don't know either when he's coming back or when he's going to call us to him. So we can't live in this future idea of eventually I'll get there. We've got to live right now. Right now. 
If you have your Bibles, uh, it's not going to be up on the screen, but turn with me real quick to 1 John chapter 2. Something John says that I think really, really touches on what we're talking about. So 1 John chapter 2, almost all the way at the end of the New Testament. We'll pick it up. Verse 15. Here's what he says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Pretty strong words. For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does, not whoever knows, whoever does, the will of God abides forever. Does that, does that sound pretty, pretty much like a parallel to what we just read? Isn't James telling us not to, not to lust after those things, not to want all those things, not to connive God into getting us those things. And then, and then what, is, what does John say? Whoever does the will. And then James says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it. So it's not enough just to know. It's, it's, We've we got to do it. We've got things to do. That's why when we come here, and we're thinking about what God wants us to do next. We're, we're praying to Him. Wednesday nights, before those outreaches, before the times when we go around and we knock on doors, we're praying to Him. Why? Because of what James says. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. We have to invite God in to what we're doing. We're, we haven't been given the permission to, I've saved you, now just go do what you want. We have to invite God into everything we're doing. Why? Because He's going to show us. <laughs> he's going to show us, not just so we can know, but and so He's going to empower us to go do. He's going to show us. He's going to show you why He saved you. He's going to show you why, why do I have this desire inside of me, but I haven't been able to find out how to fulfill that desire. He's going to show you. That's why it's so vital for us to pray. We don't just do it because it's something to do. We do it because we are entirely, entirely dependent on God to show us. And not just what we need to do, but what we don't need to do, what we don't need to get involved in. How many times do you say, if the Lord wills, I will live and do this or that? How many times do you bring it to God in prayer? How many times do you evaluate where you're at in life? There's no guesswork required for the Christian life. It's praying to God. It's being led. Being led. Not asking God to follow us, but being led by God in the Holy Spirit that He's given us. He's given us away, church. We are doing very well, I think. Um, we're growing, not just, I'm not just talking about numbers, but I'm talking about with unity. And that's, that's really important because if we don't have that unity, then 
Five people are going to think God's saying five different things. And then the walls are going to fall down and they will be rendered to nothing. But even more scary is if we keep going on and go out ahead of God, so to speak, and build our kingdom on earth and design this immaculate worship center and we're not doing anything, but we're just coming together and having a good time and going home and we're not really praying to God, but we're just asking Him to give us stuff. Listen, that's why we keep saying we got to come together and pray. we got to be on the same page when we're going out. And we all believe that God is calling us to go out and He's provided a place for us. But listen, that's why we got to be so careful. Pretty, pretty walls and pretty designs inside a place can consume us. Just like that. And then we'll lose sight of what God's been doing this whole time. Very important that we get that. So why, why this message? Why am I bringing all this up? Seems kind of random, I guess. Nobody's been saying things that are like, man, I need to preach on that next time I go up. I don't want to, because honestly, this isn't really something that's like fun to preach and, and everybody's going to be like, you're right, you're right. No, everybody's, everybody's thinking, I'm pretty sure, thinking, man, I got this thing in my life and uh, that kind of sounds like what he's talking about. But listen, It's necessary. It wouldn't be in the Word of God if it wasn't. And myself and Greg and Jordan and Dave, we are commanded by God to preach His entire counsel. Even the things that aren't fun to talk about. But listen, they are vital to us understanding our walk with Jesus Christ and what does it mean? What is it all about? Why does He have me where He does? Because He means to use you. And listen, getting used by people is usually a bad thing, but getting used by Jesus Christ is the best thing in the world. You don't walk away saying, man, I got burnt. You say, man, I want to be used more. Use me some more, you know? (laughs) We don't say that with anybody else because usually everybody else has sinful intentions. Everybody else says, man, I like that about him. I can get that out of him and then I'll cast him to the side and that's that's what we do. But that's not how Jesus is. We worship the one that's the best thing in the world to be used by him. So as we ponder this, think about it. I just want to ask you a couple questions. I want you to really say, okay, God has brought me here today, so, so I should engage. I should participate because He has me here for a reason. So I want you to just spend some time just right now as I get ready to kind of close out and just think for a little while. If you look at your life and look at your relationship with God, if you have one, that do I see myself as the leader or the follower? Have I had this incorrect view of who God is? Number one, because of what the world feeds us all the time, that it's all about us. And then number two, because I just want what I want. I just want things. Again, we've said God has given us the desire to want to accumulate things, but it's not supposed to terminate on material things that desire is only going to find fulfillment in Jesus Christ and being His servant. Otherwise, the, the hole can't be filled. You can keep filling it and filling it and filling it with things and maybe you'll kind of built up 
build up some stuff for a while, but eventually it's going to fall. Eventually it's going to go back into the hole, and the hole's going to be empty again. The only thing that can fill it is Jesus Christ. Nothing else will suffice. Nothing else will last. That's why John said this world with the desires, with those things, it's going to pass away eventually. There's going to be a day when it passes away. So are you a leader or a follower of Jesus Christ? One of those goes contrary to everything that we want. It kind of stings a little bit at first because we just don't want to be used by Christ as much as He wants to use us because we know ourselves better than He does. We, we know what we want. But don't you know that the one who created you, the one who made you, the one who saved you, is not going to have you as his slave to where you better do what he says and it's going to be a miserable life? No. When we follow him, when we get on track with what he made us for, it's going to lead us into unbelievable joy. But our flesh, our flesh raises up against it. We, we don't want to take the chance. He might not be telling the truth. But let me plead with you and tell you that I promise you He is. Now, there's two things there. Joy is different from happiness. When we chase after things in life, we, we want happiness. And that's why we've got to fight so hard because happiness can't last. Happiness, enjoy it when it's there, but it's not going to sustain you. It's going to be taken away as quickly as it's given. But joy, joy is never-ending, never-ceasing, always sustaining, no matter what the circumstance. Well, thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope that you have been brought back to reality. And the reality is that God holds the future in His hands. And although things get shaky at times, He is the one who directs our paths. And so we should never be too sure of our own plans, or at least we should always remember that what God has in store for us and what His intents and purposes are are always going to be much better than what we plan, and sometimes it even means that it goes against what we ourselves are wanting to do. Well, if you're intrigued about the book of James, but you haven't spent much time in the book, I want to encourage you to go back to a previous episode that was recorded not too long ago, and it is an overview of the book of James. Not only that, but it shows how the book of James correlates quite a bit to the book of wisdom known as the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. If you want to do that, or if you want to check out any of the older episodes from the podcast, just head on over to betterbiblereading.com, and you can access everything that has ever been recorded for your listening enjoyment. Feel free to shoot me an email, kevin at betterbiblereading.com, if you have any episode requests or something that you'd like answered. I'd love to interact with you in that way. But until next time, God bless you and thank you so much for listening.